Well, we're in this conversation for three weeks about transition, changing seasons in our lives. Because as we saw last week, change is just constant, right? We talked a little bit about praying our goodbyes, letting our past be our past. Today, I want to talk about pausing between seasons and pulling the promise of the past into the present. We see Jesus do this as he stands between his private life and public ministry. There's a baptism and then there's a season in the wilderness. Let's look at this passage together in Luke chapter 3. Uh, I want to read the text for us uh, today, but I would love it if you would open up a Bible and follow along as I read and then leave it there as we talk together about this passage. Um, let's look at page 834 of the Pew Bible where you'll find Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 21 to 23, and then I'm going to skip us over the genealogy and we'll read uh, 4, 1 through 13. When I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're hearing God's holy word. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I'm well pleased. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli. Now, the genealogy that comes next uh, is, makes the point, basically, the universal scope of salvation that Jesus comes to bring for all people. But it also makes the point that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, that's where it ends. Let's skip over now to where uh, Luke takes up the story after the baptism in verse 1 of chapter 4. Uh, I'll read again. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. And then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you, I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. 
Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. What I think it's so easy to miss here is that this is a season of change in Jesus' life. Would you, would you think with me about that for a second? Notice verse 23. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began. Now, the word his work is not in Luke's gospel. That's, it's uh, just provided by the translators. It really looks as he was about 30 years old when he began. This is the beginning for Jesus. This is a new season for Jesus. And then look how the sentence continues. He was the son as was thought or so it was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli. In other words, there's a shift in awareness. Jesus was thought of before he began as the son of Joseph. That's what it was supposed of Jesus. That's what he supposed of himself. But now there's a shift of awareness. Jesus is to think of himself differently and to encourage all of us to think about him differently. Uh, now he's beginning a new season and he will be known henceforth also as the Son of God. It's not a shift in who he is. It's a shift in awareness of who he is. But notice, it's a dramatic change. Yesterday, Jesus is thinking, I was a carpenter in Nazareth. You know, Jesus is a really common name. So to hear the name Jesus at that time means nothing. It's just a Greek translation of the word, of name Joshua. So there are tons of Jesuses running around uh, Galilee and even uh, Nazareth in all likelihood. He was just a regular bloke. He was working with wood and stone and making stuff and selling stuff. And he did that for 30 years. And now God baptizes him. Now he's being commissioned to a public life, a public ministry as rabbi, as healer, as miracle worker, as revolutionary, as savior, as the son of God. This is huge. Can you like, imagine what a mind bender it is to, to change your perspective and in, in such a short period of time. Jesus is going to say to himself, I've got, I'm going to have to go because of this is who I am. I'm going to go to new places. I'm going to have to discover new potential, new powers, uh, live with a new purpose. Everything, it seems like, must be changing for Jesus in this moment. I mean, and, and it's not easy. Remember, when Jesus, his ministry goes back to his hometown, it says he could do no miracles. Why? Because they're like, they knew him not as the son of God, but as son of Joseph. And maybe he even knew himself that way. And you go back to, you know how you go back to your home when it's like uh, uh, Thanksgiving and you're like an adult now and every other, then you get home and all of a sudden you start work, you're living like a, you know, like a fourth grader again. No offense to fourth graders. I mean, we love them, but, <laughs> and mom and dad start to treat you like a fourth grader. You're like right back there, right? He could do no miracles in Nazareth. Why? Because they said, hey, we know who you are. We've lived with you for 30 years. You're this little cute little, you know, Jesus. You know, so Jesus has this adjustment. And, 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 I, and I think to, that, that, that any of us, as we go through a season of change, have a similar kind of an adjustment. We get confronted with the question, who am I now? So much has changed. Who am I now in this season? When I was a, uh, a freshman in college, actually between my freshman and sophomore years in college, I... Um, had a really hard summer. I had five operations, and 
coming out of that, an experience of depression, I think it wasn't just the meds, it was an identity crisis. You see, because I had gone to college as an oarsman. I rode on the crew. I know it's hard to believe. I've shrunk a lot. I used to be huge. <laughs> We're recording this. I was huge and, and greatly skilled as a rower. Anyways, I, so I picked the school that I went to because of rowing. I got in, I, I think, because of rowing. I ate, drank, and slept rowing. You know what my freshman classmates called me? They called me crew machine. I don't think it was flattering, um, but that was who I was. And so I have these five operations, uh, surgery because of overwork, actually. I work too hard in working out. And uh, I never made the comeback. And so here's the question, who am I now? Who, who's the crew machine when he can't row anymore? Do you see? You see, I, I was on the cusp of a, a new season, and I had no way to even find the handle. I, I didn't know how to move forward this crisis in my life. And I don't think that's so unusual, actually. It, maybe you're a freshman, and like the, this is why we have freshman orientation. You need to pause before you jump into this experience, not because you don't know where things are. I mean, maybe you grew up in Seattle, you know the campus, but what's different is you. Now, you're not a ninth grader anymore. You're a husky. And, I, and there's a huge difference. And you need to wake up to that. But there are all kinds of experiences uh, like that. You go through a breakup, you know, and you, you know, if, if you're Nick, you used to dating Anique, and now you've been broken up, and everywhere you went, it used to be Nick and Anique. You know, we'd eat the same food, watch the same movies, take the same classes, hand in the same assignments. No, we would, and it was Nick and Anique everywhere, and now it's just Nick. It's just Nick. And you're like, who, who am I now? Or there's that moment, many of you are in the medical field and when you're in med school and you stop being a student and you start being a physician and they actually let you walk into the room with your own patient and you're the only one, they close the door and you go, oh my gosh, this is dangerous. Someone's going to get hurt. You know, who am I now? I thought I was just an overperforming student, but now someone thinks I'm a doctor. Okay, you have that baby and for 20 years it's been all career and now you know, it's diapers and playgroups. Who am I now? See, what, what the insight that's here is that Jesus, in this transition, pauses to gain awareness about who he is for a new season. He creates time and space for awareness. Now, it's not just that Jesus is super smart. Actually, the Father requires this of him. The, the text tells us that the Spirit, verse 1, chapter 4, led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. And Mark is even more dramatic. He says the Spirit uh, uh, thrust Jesus out into the wilderness. He, he pushed him. He drove him out for 40 days to pause. Now, I wish I were that smart. Over my career, it's, I, I, 30 years, I've switched jobs several times. I have never once had the wisdom between gigs to take some time to reflect. In fact, for me, my jobs have always, always overlapped. So I'm, I'm doing the new job even while I'm doing the old job. And many of you had that same experience. And that's like the opposite of pausing, right? Because you're still, you're bringing the old George into the new job, right? And the new job is challenging the heck out of the old George. And it's just, you know, a mess, and Jesus is saying, don't do that. You've got you've to renegotiate your sense of self for this new season. And to do that, it's going to take time and space. 
So you ask yourself, what, what, what do we do in that time and space? What would be the work to be done there? Well, I, wanna, I want Jesus to be our guide, so let's look again at this passage. Uh, there are two parts to it. There's accusation and there's promise, and they, they clash with each other. Accusation and promise. Here's what I think the accusation is. <clears throat> it's the voice in your head that says, you are not who you think you are. You are not who you say you are. You are not who you need to be for this new season of life. <clears throat> Have you ever had that voice in your head? Have you ever showed up in your office waiting for the real gal to arrive? You know, and you're thinking, who am I? <laughs> I'm not kidding anybody. And that's the voice of accusation. The character here is the devil. Now, I know some of us have trouble understanding this. It's, it's uh, strange, but um, the devil means, the word that's being used here, diabolos, means accuser. So I want you to take that concept. That's the heart of it, accuser. I know because of medieval paintings, we tend to think of a, a skinny little guy with a pointy red tail and red yoga pants showing up and doing this stuff with Jesus. But that's, you know, I, I personally think that in all likelihood, uh, this is happening in Jesus' head. He's hearing these thoughts and he's trying to disentangle them from the message that the Spirit is giving him. And it's hard work, this accusation. Is that you, God? Is that you, devil? Notice that these accusations are all attacked at identity. If you are the Son of God, verse 3. If you are the Son of God, verse 9. See, what he's saying is, who do you think you are, O son of Joseph? Who do you think you are? That's the attack. That's where it's coming. And I, and I think, you know, we all at one point or another recognize this voice inside of us. You may be on the cusp of something new, and, and there's something inside of you that keeps saying, you're too young, you're too old, you're too poor, you're too broken, you're too bad, you're too evil. You've got too much history. You're not enough. And remember last week we talked about this loss that's part of putting the past in the past. And, and we come into this new season without something because we've lost it. It's not there anymore. And it's that sense of loss oftentimes that exacerbates this experience of not being enough. I don't know how I would face the future. Someone said after the first service, we were married 42 years until just a few months ago. And I don't know how to live without him, literally. And that's, that's, that's the common experience, okay? So the voice says you can't. But the, on the other hand, what comes into conflict with that is promise. The promise. The promise is that voice that says, I am who I am because of God's promise. Notice what Jesus keeps saying to the devil. He, he rebuts him constantly. He says, it is written. It is written. He's going back to the past, and he's saying, I have another voice in my life. It's the voice of God's word written. And then notice the third time he says, it is said, speaking. This is the voice, this is what he said, who spoke creation into existence, now being recalled to speak to us. And it's primarily speaking to identify us. You are my beloved daughter. I take my delight in you. You are my beloved son with you I am well pleased. See, Jesus has to go back to that experience of his own baptism to remember what heaven had declared is the truth about him. God's made a promise. And really, <clears throat> this is about reliving the exodus for Jesus. Most scholars point out that he's recapitulating 40 days, recapitulates 40 years in the wilderness of Israel. 
he quotes Deuteronomy, which is a wilderness passage. Uh, all of the temptations that Jesus faced are the very same temptations that Israel had faced in its 40 years in the wilderness, grumbling about bread, flirting with idolatry, putting God to the test. But what's interesting to me is that for Israel in the past, the wilderness was intentionally designed as a pause. This is what Deuteronomy 8 teaches us. God says, I'm disciplining you. And by the way, that word Hebrew and discipline doesn't mean punishing you. I'm training you in the wilderness. I'm cultivating in you. And what's he training us for? Daughtership, sonship. God had said in Exodus 4.22, Israel is my firstborn son. Now, that's patriarchal language, but in a patriarchal culture, what it meant was privilege, abundance, honor. And he declares that of people who are in slaves. They're, they're enslaved in Egypt. And God says, you're going to need some space between being a slave and being a child. You're going to need some time in order to recalibrate your understanding of self. And I'm going to so love you through the hardship of the wilderness that by the time you get to the promised land, the promise isn't going to be just something you've been told. The promise is going to be something with which you live. You are a child of God. You see, that's the function of the pause. And isn't it interesting that Jesus himself, our Savior, because of his humanity, needs to wrestle with this as he makes his own transition? There's a story about a student who years ago took an exam, and he took too much time with it. And the students were all collecting exams, and he was the last one in, and he came, and the proctor said, uh, she said, I'm not going to take your exam. He's like, why not? She said, because you kept working after I said stop. He says, what's this going to do to my grade? She goes, it's probably not anything good. He says, well, you can't do that to me. You know who I am. And she says, nope. And you know what? It doesn't matter. He says, do you know who I am? She says, no. He takes his blue book and crams it in a stack of other blue books right in the middle of the pile. <laughs> I wish I were that smart <laughs> and quick. But you know, the question, the question for us, and I think Jesus is setting this before you today, is do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? That's the question that matters. That's the question with which your head is swimming with disorientation when you're making transition like this. And if you want to know, then you're going to have to do what Jesus did, and that's pause. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus had a pause rhythm to his life. It wasn't just this one incident. You know, he had this pause rhythm for the rest of his life. From this point forward, the text will tell us he withdrew to a lonely place. He pulled away to a deserted place. Isn't that interesting? He had a practice in his life that kept him from becoming numbed, or conformed or overwhelmed by the world around him, the pressures, the voices, the things that people said to him and the things that he internalized and therefore said to himself. Jesus had to come back to the wilderness. By the way, the lonely place, that's the adjective form of the same Greek word for wilderness. He keeps coming back to this place. But not literally, but again and again, he comes back to this pause, the time and space to return to his father and say, would you remind me again who I am? 
Isn't it interesting that Jesus needed that? I mean, Jesus needed that. How much more would we need that? As though Jesus could somehow lose track in all the stresses of life. And so do we. What I'm saying is, it's not enough just to put the past in the past. We also have to learn how to pull the promise of the past forward, okay? Pull the promise forward. That's the practice this week, and we do it by pausing. Now, let me suggest there are two questions that you want to ask yourself if you do take some time to pause. And the first is, now, in light of this transition, what needs to change in me? What needs to change in me? And the other is, what is staying the same as I move forward? The first question, what needs to change in me, gets at the accusation. It, 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 it is nothing like transition to expose an unstable identity. Years ago, I worked at Mass General Hospital as a chaplain. They assigned me to the cardiac access floor, and it's the floor where they bring heart patients. And so uh, day in, day out, I was sitting with, and by the way, they tended to be white, upper-middle-class, fairly high-net-worth men. I remember asking the, the um, nun why that was, and she smiled. And it, it, but what I learned is <clears throat> these mostly men found themselves in a place where they um, had so bought the narrative that their identity was to be shaped by their work, by their achievement, by their financial success, that it literally almost killed them. And they're looking at me going, I, I can't keep living this way. They had an unstable identity. And that's oftentimes what change will do for us. And that's actually a good thing. So you're going to ask, hey, you know what? What needs to change in me? What half-truths and lies have I been carrying around that expose me to accusation? How have I allowed the world, not Jesus, to tell me who I am? How am I living more with the past and resisting the future? And then the other question, well, what is staying the same? This gets at the promise. It exposes God's faithfulness in the midst of the past, my own personal past and back in history. I can ask myself here, what isn't changing as I move forward? What has God given me? What has God done that's still going to be the same? in an uncertain future? What, what has God done in the past? What promises has God made in the past that he'll keep in the future and I can count on, I count on them? And who, most importantly, who does God say that I am? Who am I now? Well, what I'm saying is we need to develop a pause rhythm. We need to find and create, actually, time and space for awareness. No one will help you with this. You've got to do it your own. You've got to push back in order to be able to pull the promise of God forward into this new season of your life. And I don't know what it looks like for you. It might be um, practicing the Sabbath. Oh, there's an idea in the 21st century. Practicing the Sabbath. You know what? I, I, a certain uh, student comes to my mind right now who's a computer scientist. And between uh, school and interviews, she is constantly coding. And I say, when are you ever taking Sabbath? And the Sabbath is a gift that God gives us to remind us that our, our work is not dependent on our diligence as much as it is on God's faithfulness. We need to be reminded again and again that it's about Him, not about us. Maybe it looks to you like a, a practice of morning prayer. 
just quiet with a cup of coffee, or evening journaling, or going away for a weekend, taking a retreat, or cutting out early at the uh, end of, at the at midday from work, just to be with Jesus and engage listening prayer. I don't know what it looks like for you, but you can figure it out, and you need to. Without pause, we will resist change. You know the old quote that your system is perfectly designed to achieve the results that you are currently getting. And unless you gain some awareness on that system, you are not going to be able to modify it in the way you need to modify it for the future. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite uh, living theologians is a man named Gerhard Lofink. And in an essay on newness, he says the reason why the early followers of Jesus Christ were so countercultural and innovative is because they had adopted the, the Jewish practice of looking towards the future by looking behind them. He said, use the illustration of a rowboat. This is the, the Israelite mentality. If you're in a rowboat, you know where you're going by looking at where you've been. And Lofik makes the point there's no other culture in, in ancient history that re recounted its failure as much as Israel did. Most ancient cultures talk only about their successes. Israel's all over their failure, their shame, their rebellion. You read about it in, in the Old Testament. It says, why? It's because that's where God met them. That's where they met a God of grace acting in human history to reverse the curse, to break the power of evil, and to identify us as his children. When we look backwards, he says, we permit God's ancient deeds to be renewed in us today. And when you decide to do that, you will stand with the characters of the Old Testament as though you were part of their story. You will stand with Shifra and Pua, the uh, Hebrew midwives who stood up to the genocidal patriarchy of the Pharaoh. You will stand with David as he looks Goliath in the eyes with his scheming oppression. You will stand with Esther as she stands against the divisive politics of a man named Haman. You will stand with Jesus as a beloved child of God in all the privilege and all the abundance and all the honor of being a child of heaven. Well, in the 19th century, there was another carpenter who went through transition, and he wrote a few words of verse down one day, and he shared it with a friend, and she admired it so much, she said, you've got to distribute this. His name was Edmund Moat, and to later generations, he would be known less as a carpenter and more as a hymn writer. And he is the one who wrote these words with which I close. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us in the waters of our own baptism. It is there that we identify with Jesus in the waters of his and open up our minds and hearts to the declaration of heaven that you're pleased with us. We thank you. 
Because he stood with us in our sinful human nature, we now can stand with him at, the, at your right hand, a place of great privilege and abundance and honor. And we only ask that no matter what we face, individually or corporately, you will allow us to live out of that sense of who we are. In Christ's name, amen.